Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. I want to talk to you for a little while today on uh, the thought of seeing ourselves as God sees us. And uh, this is, to me, this is an important topic uh, because uh, so much uh, of this has to do with the renewed mind. And um, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 4 and the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And I, I really like this story. I, have, I, I speak about this from time to time. And, and so usually every time you talk about this, you have, there's a few things that you're going to have to cover every time. So you may have heard me talk about some of this before. You probably will hear me talk about it uh, again. And so we'll go ahead and start reading in John chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the, the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will, will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. 
Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Father, we just thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you that we can call you Father. Lord, we just ask your blessing upon this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So seeing ourselves as God sees us. Um, now, we all know there are some people out there that seem to have this real high opinion of themselves. Um, most people, though, don't have that issue. Most people um, seem to have problems with the way they see themselves. Even if other people see them as a great person, the way they view themselves can sometimes be a lot less. Um, now, as far as the person that seems to have that issue of thinking too highly of themselves, uh, years ago, uh, when Heather and I first got married, which tomorrow is our anniversary, so happy anniversary to Heather. She's so lucky. But, <laughs> no, I'm extremely blessed. But... Um, we were working with a youth group. I should have never went. I should have just left it at the happy anniversary. <laughs> I'll get out of this. So I'll think of something. But uh, we were working with this youth group, and we had talked with the pastor, and we had gotten it to where the youth were going to handle every fifth Sunday night. When there was a fifth Sunday in a month, we would do the night service, and they would handle everything. Well, we didn't have very many youth. We had uh, just a handful and so we got there real early on that Sunday afternoon to work with them because they were going to do the music. They were going to do all of it. And we had one, uh, this one young guy that uh, he wanted to sing, and he wanted to sing. Uh, he wanted to have a solo. And so we, were, we thought maybe he could sing, but we were wrong. And so he's up there belting it out in the, the practice, and it's just terrible. And uh, we're trying as nicely as we can to tell him how bad he is. Hey, he was off beat. He was off key. You name it. He was doing it. And so he just couldn't get it. He would start, he would be grinning when we got finished. And he was talking about, man, that sounds so good. You know, he just, he was just all about himself. So my dad was actually running the sound for us. And I went to the back where he was at because that was when now how everybody wants to stream their service. Back then, everybody just recorded it on CD and you could get a CD if you wanted to hear the service or if you want to give it to someone. And so I went back there and I told dad, I said, I'm going to record this kid and play it for him to hear. And my dad said, you can't do that. You're going to embarrass him. That, that would be mean. Well, um, I'm a lot better at dealing with people now than I was then. Cause I told dad, I said, I don't care if it's mean, he's terrible. So I said, all right. I said, I said, Hey, I called his name. I said, uh, how about we record you and then we can play it back and you can hear how good you sound. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So we recorded him, and we played it back. And it was even worse on the recording than it was hearing it live. And the weird thing, because Dad was about to say, you're going to embarrass him. You shouldn't do this. And uh, the whole time we're playing it back, I expected his expression to kind of change, you know, when he heard how bad it was. But instead of kind of like turning red or anything, his eyes kept getting bigger. And his smile kept getting bigger. And I'm, what is going through this kid's mind? So that's like, hey, what do, you, what do you think of the song now that you heard it? And he said, I sound just like the man on the CD. <laughs> and so I lose it on him. I'm like, you don't sound anything like the man on the CD. You sound terrible. You're off key. You're off beat. What are you, what's wrong with your ears? Yeah, I'm just going off on him. 
And uh, it still don't bother him. He's just looking and smiling at the girls on stage with him, just having the best time because nothing was going to bother this guy's self-esteem. And uh, we probably know someone like that. They can make the biggest fools out of themselves, and it doesn't seem to bother them a bit. It doesn't seem to affect their confidence. But that's not the case for most, most people. Most people uh, actually have a problem when it comes to self-image. Some people do think of themselves more highly than they should, but I honestly believe that most of them are just putting up a good front to cover up insecurities that they, that they actually have. Uh, you can see it when you're watching documentaries on athletes and uh, people that are famous, have accomplished all kinds of things, wealth and just anything you can think of, and you'll find out that even though other people look upon them with respect and all this stuff, when they look at themselves in the mirror, they just they look at themselves with negativity and many of them even with disgust. They don't like themselves. They don't like what they see. And see, we shouldn't be that way because we're children of God. It's important that we see ourselves the way that He sees us. How are we going to be what He's called us to be if we can't see what He wants us to see? We have to see it through His lenses, through the lenses of the kingdom, through the lenses of the Father. I remember when uh, Heather was talking with the kids one day, and uh, they were small, and uh, she was talking to them about the Father, and she was telling them about how much God loved them, and she's like, uh, God cares so much for you, and she's like, He knows exactly who you are. He knew your name before you were even born. He knew what color eyes you were going to have. He knew what you would be like, what you would be when you grow up. He, knows, he just knows you. And Stephen, being Stephen, was just kind of like, gee, thanks. <laughs> but Hannah was taking it all in. And uh, she, her eyes kept getting really big, and she kept started saying, wait a minute, Mom, you mean God knows me? God knows me. She kept repeating it. He knows, and she was like, yeah, Hannah, he knows you. And then I guess she didn't believe Heather. She said, Dad, you mean God knows me? And she's sitting up in her seat now real high at the, at the kitchen table. You remember this? And she says, uh, she's like, he knows my name? And I was like, yes, Hannah, he knows your name. And she's like, no, really, God knows me. And we're like, yes, Hannah, he knows you. And it was really cute to see a, a little kid that uh, getting this down in their spirit and starting to accept it but see the thing about it is is there are a lot of people who have been saved for years who still haven't gotten that far they still haven't understood that God knows you each and every one of you he knows your name he knows everything there is to know about you he cares about us and we're important and we're special because we're his and we're in Christ but too many times we spend all of our time putting ourselves down and looking at each other the wrong way because we're not seeing things the way God sees us. And uh, th those that did MIP in here, was Brother Flora teaching it when you were in MIP? Yeah, he was teaching it when Heather and I went through. And he told us this important piece of information of how to never lose an argument with your spouse. Apparently that's important if you want to preach. But he told us, he said that he had figured it out. You'll never lose. And uh, he said that, most of the time in his marriage, most of the arguments were his fault. He'd come to realize that, that usually he's the one who did something not very smart. But he said that he came up with this idea, and it is foolproof, and it doesn't matter. Even if you're the one who's wrong, you can always win. And so he said while he's uh, having a discussion with or, or an argument with his wife over something, that usually pretty early on in the argument, he realizes that he's wrong and she's right. 
And so he said he doesn't let that hold him back. He just waits for his opportunity. And he knows that if he lets her talk long enough that sooner or later she's going to say something like, why would you do that? That's not even smart. You're smarter than that. Why would you do something like that? That's this dumb. Why would you? And he says, as soon as she makes the mistake of saying that, he just looks at her sincerely and he says, but you married me. So what does that say about you? And he says, the argument's over. That from that point on, anything that she says, she's actually saying about herself. So she can't say anything bad about him and they can just move on from it. But see, what about what we say about ourselves? We shouldn't be so hard on ourselves because when we do, what are we saying about God? If we're so worthless, if we're never going to get it right, if we're always, you know, if we're so dumb, if we're so unimportant, what does that say about the one that created us? If we're so terrible, what are these negative statements that we make about ourselves saying about the one that loves us so, the one that chose us, the one that sent his son for us? We have to stop putting God down by saying negative things about ourselves. Everybody in here, if I were to ask you, when's the last time you said something bad about God? Oh, I would never say anything bad about God. But you have by what you've said about yourself, by the way you see yourself. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. And we need to begin to proclaim that image over ourselves. And we need to begin to walk in that image that He has for us. See, God doesn't see things the same way that we do. He sees things totally different than us. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9 says this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I'm going to throw a bonus one in there. Psalms 103, verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. So as far as the heavens are from the earth, as one is His mercy toward us. We need to show ourselves a little bit of mercy from time to time. But the thing here is that His ways are that much higher than our ways. His thoughts are that much higher than our, our thoughts. Now, I'm gonna, not going to try to say I know how far heaven is from earth, but just to put that in a little bit of perspective for possibly, possibly here, not definite, but the, according to Google, the observable universe is around 93 billion light years across, they estimate now. They thought at one time they were saying 15.5 billion light years, but now they've discovered it's bigger than that because of objects moving around and the way the speed of light operates, all this stuff that's way over my head. But that means that if you're in the center of the universe, you, could, you can see 46 billion light years in any direction. 46 billion. So you have to put that in perspective still because we can't grasp that. The sun is 94.4 million miles away from us. Now, Mary, his thoughts are as far as the heavens are from the earth or his, his thoughts are above our thoughts, his ways above our ways. If you drove 65 miles an hour for 24 hours a day, it would take you over 163 years to get to the sun. Light travels at 11 million miles a minute which is 5,865,696,000,000 miles in a year. So a light year is almost 6 trillion miles. So just what we know in the observable universe would be 40, uh, 40 what you can see, 46 billion times 5 trillion, 5.88 trillion. 
That's a long way. I don't know how to describe all that, and I can't really grasp it in my brain, but I just know that he doesn't think the same way I do. His ways are a lot higher than... You, mar you married me, so... <laughs> it works every time. <laughs> every time it works. We don't always see things the same way that God does. And I'll admit, when it comes to a lot of things uh, in this life, uh, have you ever just come to realize that you're just blind to a lot of stuff? Never realized, never thought about it. I'm blind to a lot of things. Even while in church, even while serving the Lord, even while going after Him with all that I have, I've been blind about so many things and continue to be. That's why we need His touch in our lives every day. Because I want to see things the way he sees them. I, I want to see things. I want to see circumstances. I want to see uh, people the way that he would with his eyes, with his heart, with those lenses of the kingdom. I want to see myself the way that, that he sees me. See, how empowering would it be if we could just see ourselves like God sees us? The way he looks upon us with, with his love. Not even our love, but his love and his compassion that he has toward us. And so with this story of Jesus with the woman at the well, there's some striking revelation here of how God just looks at people. And so the first thing we notice is that he does not see status but sinners. In verse 9 of chapter 4, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's saying, hey, why are you asking me for anything? Jews don't have anything to do with us. They don't have anything to do with Samaritans. Don't you know what kind of person I am? Don't you know where I come from? Don't you know my background? I'm a Samaritan. See, Jews, didn't, they didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. They looked down upon them. And even though they would uh, trade with, with each other commercially for economic reasons, they just refused to have any social interaction. And the Jews claimed to be superior. But see, Jesus took care of this. He bridged the gap when he said to her, give me a drink. See, Jesus is not class conscious and he's not status conscious. He's need conscious. When he looks upon people, he doesn't see their status. He just sees the person and the need. The second thing is that he doesn't see obstacles. He sees opportunities. Now, some people, especially me, can always see what you don't have why it's not going to work. Are you good at seeing why something won't work and can never and not as good at figuring out how to make it work? Yeah, you look at things and, and she, she's, people just point out the negative, never the positive. And that's what this woman does. She's like, the well's deep. You don't have anything to draw with. And that's how we are. We're always finding reasons why we can't do something, why we can't be used by God, why it couldn't start with us, why it couldn't start here. Always focusing on the problems and never considering the promises but that wasn't jesus jesus has a no problem attitude he doesn't focus on problems because obstacles are god's opportunities for miracles and so what if we begin to see things differently the next time we face that difficult situation if we be, we begin to think about i wonder what god's going to do this time i wonder how god's going to work this out instead of thinking about how we're never going to make it it's never going to get any better the next time we have to deal with that person that no one wants to deal with because they're so hateful 
What if we started thinking, man, I wonder how God's going to use me to affect change in this person's life and for them to see how, how much he loves them? What if we begin to see things not as obstacles every time just because it's difficult? It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's still going to be difficult. But what if we started viewing it as opportunities? What kind of miracles will we begin to see? How awesome would it be to see the hand of God at work in our lives instead of always being held back because of our unbelief, because of the way we're looking at things? The third thing, we also need to see things the way God sees things because He doesn't just see the immediate, He sees the eternal. Now in verse 13, Jesus says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. See, this woman, she was after a temporary fix for her thirst. But Jesus was offering something eternal, something that would never fade away. See, that's a powerful lesson for us and how we view others in our daily lives as well as in our church or in our, in, our, in our ministries, whatever opportunities God gives us. We should see things like Jesus sees them. We should see the needs and we should also see the seeds that are being planted. And the needs, for, for I guess for this purpose, is, are the immediate, but the seeds are the eternal. We need to see things uh, with eternity in mind. In our daily lives and in our, in our ministries, we should try to meet those immediate needs as best we can. We should try to meet the needs, but we should also make sure that seeds are being planted in the futures of as many people as we come in contact with. A great example of that uh, that you'll see in most churches is the children's church and nursery ministries. Go ahead and put a plug in. We need help in the nursery. I don't know about children's church. We have to see Amber for that, but... I know Donna's needing some help in the nursery ministry. If anybody's interested, see her. They're important ministries. They often get overlooked, but, they're, but they address the immediate and the eternal. We help with the immediate need of a parent who needs a break from little Timmy or Sally who's driving them crazy all week. Or maybe little Timmy or Sally need a break from a parent who's been driving them crazy all week. It could be either one. But at the same time, the eternal is being affected because the parents are being ministered to in the, in the main service while the kids are being forever impacted by the Word of God on their level just in another room. See, it would do all of us well to begin to not just see the immediate, but to see the eternal in every situation. It's sad to think about and sad to say, but there are a lot of good churches out there with good people that are going to die out if someone doesn't look past the immediate and start to see the eternal. There's a lot of them out there that good churches and the only money they want to spend is on needs. They don't ever spend any money on seeds. It, you can't do that and continue to go on. You've got to invest in the future, whether it be with finances or whether it be with time, whether it be knowledge, all those different training, all those things. I can remember when I was a young teenager, and it's a little different now. Now they have... They have the, basically the equivalent of travel sports for any hobby your kid could be into. You can do it year-round somewhere, whatever your kid's into. It's available. When I was younger, there wasn't quite as much available other than the school sports and like rec ball stuff. And so the churches, it seemed like back then, and you'll still see it on the name of some of, the, some of them when you go by now, but it's like it was every church's goal to one day be able to build a gym. You remember when that was like every church, they wanted to one day build a gymnasium, but they were going to call it a family life center? And so you ride by and you can still see Family Life Center on, and I'm not hating on that, but, 
But it was like this, this goal to one day we'll have enough money to buy a gym, uh, to build a gym. And when we build this gym, we're going to do all these activities for our kids and our young people. And, uh, and, and so a lot of them would do it. They would get the financing and they would build this gym. But it never lasted long for most of them. Some of them it did, but a lot of them it didn't last but a year or two. And uh, they did other things with it or they sold it or they, they, they revamped it to be something different. And uh, I can remember going to the gym and playing at a church. And it was getting a lot of use. At least a couple nights a week, sometimes more than that. They had some other events there. But they met with us and they told us we were about to play basketball, I think. And they said, hey, just to let you know, we've decided we're going to shut the gym down for a couple of months. And then we're going to open it back up. And uh, I don't even remember if it opened back up. If it did, it was never the same. But what was weird to me is they were going to shut it down in the winter. Now, in the summer, it's daylight to almost 9 o'clock at night, and it's warm. And I could do anything I wanted just about uh, growing up in the country. I could go do ride four-wheelers, play ball, whatever, till nighttime. I didn't have to come home till dark. But in the winter... It's cold and it's dark at 5 o'clock. You would think if you needed a gym for kids to be safe and have somewhere to do something, it would be the winter. So it didn't make any sense to me, but what it was is they were tired. They were, they were worn out from opening the gym. I get it. I understand. I don't know all the reasoning, but a lot of churches did the exact same things. See, what had happened is they were told if they would just build this gym that they, were, that they had all these expectations because they built the gym wanting to meet a need, but they didn't realize the real purpose of the gym was for planting seed. And so they didn't, get the, they didn't have their immediate expectations met because maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't uh, make the church grow. Uh, maybe it didn't increase the finances. They realized it was actually really expensive and was costing them more money than they thought. Or maybe because they had heard from some youth leader six states away that pumped them up about it, they weren't having five kids get saved every week at basketball. In fact, they were having to tell them to quit cussing when they were getting fouled. <laughs> it wasn't what they expected because they were expecting this immediate need to be taken care of, but they weren't seeing the importance of that they were actually planting seed in people's lives. And I know they had their reasons. I'm not blaming them for, what, for, for shutting it down. It probably maybe was a great decision. But see, when we begin to not just see the immediate but to see the eternal, that's when we will see how special and how precious and how worth it every individual is to the eternal kingdom of God. doesn't mean that you're going to be able to help everybody. Not everybody wants to be helped. Not everybody wants change. But it will, you can see the importance of the seed that you're planting while you're meeting those immediate needs as well. The next thing we see is that he did not see a harlot, but he saw a hurting woman. Now, this is the part that I always talk about in this story because it just fascinates me of growing up and hearing so many messages about this woman and how poorly she's been spoken of all these years. Uh, they always represent her as this bad person, this promiscuous woman, this sometimes a harlot, all these different things. And the Bible never actually tells us that. Now, she may have been. She may have been all those things that we've heard all those different times and messages about her. She may have been just a horrible person morally. But when you think about it, it really wasn't very easy for a woman to get a divorce back in that day. 
And uh, probably if she would have been that promiscuous running around on five different husbands, they would have just stoned her to death instead of divorcing her anyways. But I'm not saying that they're wrong. It may, maybe she was that type of person. But actually, it is possible. I have two other possibilities to give you that I think are a little uh, more realistic for that time and for a woman. Uh, one is that she had had five husbands and they had all passed away. Maybe there was a battle that they were in. Maybe they were getting killed in wartime. Maybe, maybe there was a, some sickness that went through the land. Maybe they were five brothers. You know how the older brother was married. If he died, the younger brother had to marry uh, his wife and so on and so on. It could have been anything like that. So maybe she's lost five husband, husbands tragically through death in some way. Or maybe she's been deserted five times by husbands. Maybe she's been told five different times that she wasn't worth it, that she wasn't good enough. And so they had divorced her and sent her on her way. Either, either way, I think that she, more than her being this promiscuous woman, you can think however you want because there's no way to, to say for sure, but I think she actually was a hurting woman. And whether through death or through choices of men, I believe she had been deserted these times. And see, when Jesus looked at her, he didn't see a harlot. He saw the hurting woman. Now, Jesus did not condone her lifestyle, so maybe she was into uh, uh, the, the things going on in her life. Maybe everything that they've said about her all these years is true. But at the same time, he didn't spend any time condemning her either. He just simply saw her need and he ministered to it. What if we took that mindset in the church? Just to see the need and minister to the need of that person. And the last thing, finally, that I want us to to see if we want to see ourselves the way God sees us and see others the way that God sees them, then we need to follow what Jesus did and not waste time with narrow mindedness. Now, the typical Jew and Samaritan, they would argue over where to worship, whether it was on the, the mountain, like the Samaritan said, or whether it was in the temple in Jerusalem, like the Jews. And so when the Samaritan woman tried to bring this up, Jesus just gets right back to business. He doesn't spend any time there. He doesn't waste any time arguing with her. And see, the church has wasted too much time on different various narrow views of different denominations. Now, I'm not against denominations. I know that there are some denominations with some crazy, crazy views out there. But no denomination is perfect. And uh, every, every one of them have some things probably that, that everyone's going to disagree with from you know, different, different places. But as a church, we've lost a lot of good people while trying to protect interest in doctrines and philosophies instead of just being interested in people and, and loving on them. But see, Jesus could see right through it. And so he cut through all of that, and the end result was this woman's salvation. Jesus won her, and she won the city because he saw in her what others had refused to see or were unable to see because of their prejudice. See, if we could just see ourselves as God sees us, what would happen? If we could see each other, See, in our churches, in our, on our jobs, in our schools, out on the streets, there are just people waiting to impact the harvest, waiting to do something amazing for the kingdom of God. What if they could begin to see themselves the way God sees them if we begin to see, see it in them and call it out? See, if we can just look beyond their faults and their failures and see what God sees, then we'll discover a vast potential army for the kingdom. It's there, but are we seeing what He sees? There's a book that I read years back, and uh, in the book he was talking about, um, he made a point about how we're always 
focusing on what we don't want to be instead of what we do want to be. Does anybody do that besides me? And some of it's a normal process as you're growing and developing because a lot of times before you're certain of what you want to do, you know what you don't want to do, you know, or, or how you don't want to be. And, um, but some people never move beyond that. They stay there their entire life. And so many of us spend a lot of time uh, when it comes to things of the Lord because you'll say, I don't like that. I wouldn't do anything like that church there. Or I don't like that preacher. I don't want to be like that guy. Or I don't want to be whatever it is. I don't like that style of worship. I don't like that style of preaching. I don't like that. Whatever. You can fill in the blank. And so what happens is many of us spend a lot of time reacting to what we don't want to be instead of responding to the call of God on our lives. Have you ever talked to a church person, you know, someone that's faithful to, to, uh, to the church with their attendance and everything, and when you start talking about things of the Lord, they know more about the preachers they don't like than the preachers they do like? They can tell you all kind of stuff about the preachers they don't like, the ones they don't want to listen to. Well, you know an awful lot about somebody you don't want to listen to. Quit listening to them if you don't want to listen. Find someone you do want to be like and go after... Go after that. See, we waste a lot of energy trying not to be something. But the, think about this. In order for me to, let's just say, I'm not going to say another word about Heather today. I'm, let's just say my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. There's a lot of people who don't. I, I, I like being like my dad, but there's a lot of people. Our shirts even almost match. There's a lot of people who don't want to be like their dad. And they'll tell you that right off. I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. Well, in order for me to focus on not being like my dad, what do I have to keep my mind on? My dad. I don't want to do this like him. I don't want to do that like him. What am I keeping before my eyes constantly when I'm, when I'm living my life that way? The very person I'm saying I don't want to be like. And so now it's become my focus because I sure don't want to be that way. But the crazy thing is, is that I'm going to reproduce whatever I imagine. Whatever I keep in here is what's going to be produced. And it's the same way. And I'll, I'll, so with people, if you have people that are um, trying to lose weight, you may get a few of them when you say, hey, what are you trying to lose weight for? They'll say, oh, I want to be skinny. I just want to get in shape. Probably 95% of them, if you say, what are you trying to lose weight for? I don't want to be fat. That's what they're going to say. Now, if my whole focus is I don't want to be overweight, what am I constantly thinking about being overweight? How am I constantly seeing myself in a, in a situation of being overweight? Instead of seeing myself the way I want to be, I'm constantly focusing on what I don't want to be. It's the same thing with people with money. There are some people out there, very few, but if you'll talk to them, what their, their plans are, oh, I want to be wealthy. I want to be successful. I want to be a good steward. I want to be a saver. I want to be... Uh, I want to leave an inheritance. Most of them, what the answer is going to be is the, the way they think about money is because I don't want to not be able to pay my bills. I don't want to be poor. And so because they think that way, the one thing that they focus on all the time is poverty. And so now no matter how much money they have, they usually almost are always struggling with finances. They can't make enough money because their whole struggle is not being poor instead of focusing on being what God uh, wants us to be. And that's successful. And prosperous. And it's the same thing when it comes to things of the Lord. 
Because you have a lot of people, they live their whole entire Christian life, and when it comes down to it, their main focus is that I don't want to be a sinner because I don't want to go to hell. That's their main purpose in their relationship with God when you get down to it. It's not, oh, I'm so thankful that I've been saved. I want to do something amazing for the kingdom. I want to draw closer to God. I want to operate in all the gifts of the Spirit. I want to be all God's called me to be. I want to fulfill a destiny. I want to all, no, it's, I don't want to go to hell, so I don't, I don't want to be a sinner because I don't want to go to hell. And now all they focus on is sin and hell. They never focus on the Father and His goodness and the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. And so guess what they never experience? They never experience the abundant life because they never focus on it. All they experience is a fear of hell. They never walk in faith. It's always fear. And so there are a lot of people, I truly believe, that struggle with sin because all they think about is sin, trying not to be a sinner. It's all they keep before their eyes. They can be real, real religious, and that's usually why they're so miserable the whole time. They're, they're probably doing a good job of not sinning, but at the same time, all they think about is sin. And so they never really advance in the kingdom. They never really advance in the Lord. They never get to a, another place of experiencing Him and having communion or fellowship with Him. And I want to show you real quick that this isn't just a self-help message. So I've got a scripture for you. Some people, that's they. if anything sounds too much like common sense, they can't take it. I I preached a me I can't remember what message it was, but I preached a message one time and and uh, it was on Facebook and a guy went on there and commented fluff and I just started busting out laughing. Uh, now my dad and my sister got mad. Michelle got mad. Uh, I think they deleted his comment and blocked him or something. I told him to just leave him alone. But I went on his page and his whole entire page was everybody's going to hell. Everybody. Now, I know that Jesus preached on hell. I know we need to preach on hell. We need to preach on sin and all those different things. But I don't want my whole focus being telling everybody they're going to hell. I want to help people go to heaven. I want to help people advance in their walk with the Lord. Not tell them how sorry they are every time you talk. I mean, every now and then somebody needs a wake-up call. But every time, everything they do, sending them to hell, that just... So sometimes you got to consider the source, but... I want to give this to you. This is in Genesis chapter 30. And I'm going to start in verse uh, 31. And so this is Jacob and Laban. And uh, I said a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago about how uh, these two were always trying to trick one another and pull a fast one on each other. And so this is after a lot of that stuff has gone down. And now they're talking about Jacob's wages. And he's going to look after Laban's flock. And it says, so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything if you will do this thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you, <clears throat> every one that is not speckled or spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed the, that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. 
Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked uh, and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock can see that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Okay, so basically their agreement is, Jacob says, you don't even have to pay me. I'm going to watch your flock. Let's take out all of the speckled, streaked, and spotted sheep and goats. They're all, all of them are out. Now all he has is solids. And... He says, from now on, any streak, speckled, or spotted that are born will be mine. Anything that's solid is going to be yours. And that way you will know that if, that if you see any of these in my flock, that I have stolen them from you. And so Laban loves that idea because now that he's removed all of them, there's a chance that there might be some, but not a very high chance. And so he agrees to it and he takes all of them out, moves them three days away, gives them to the, to the other sons, and now, so Jacob's got this whole flock. None of them are his. None of them look the way that he needs them to look for him to be wealthy. And so he takes these trees and he cuts these white strips in them and makes rods out of them and he puts them at the watering trough. Now these aren't some kind of magic sticks. There's nothing in there that I read where God even told him to do this or that God said he was going to make this happen if he would do it. But so what Jacob has done is by putting those sticks next to the watering trough, when the, when the livestock come up to get water and they see their reflection in the water, now they're streaked and spotted, uh, spotted and speckled because of the reflection on the trees that are up there. And so now even though they're not streaked and spotted or speckled, I'm just going to say streaked because I'm going to get tongue twisted saying all three of those. Now that they're are spotted, now that they're not spotted, but when they look in the reflection, they are spotted. They begin to see themselves differently. And now even though that they're solid, they see themselves as spotted. And so when it comes time to start reproducing and, conce and conceiving and reproducing, they start to reproduce spotted instead of the way that they actually are. See, the way you see yourself is important. And when you see your reflection, it always needs to be in Christ and what he says about you. And so he starts taking the, the, the sticks away when the weak sheep are up there, putting them back when the strong sheep are up there, and his flock is exploding and Laban's is just dwindling away to a bunch of weak sheep and goats. And it's all because of the view that they had of themselves. And see, we're see we see the same thing a lot of times in our lives with the Lord we're going to reproduce what we see, and we're going to produce what we see. See, these, these sheep, the only, the only thing they did was they were still doing the normal stuff, but they began to see what the shepherd wanted them to see. 
They began to see what the shepherd had seen in the vision all along when he decided to put those sticks there to change their viewpoint. See, God puts things in our paths over and over to try to get us to see things His way, but for some reason we just keep turning a blind eye to it. If we could just see ourselves the way He sees us, we would see that we are powerful. We are a mighty army. You know, we, we, we don't see things the way God does. Like I said earlier, we just see those dead, dry bones. He sees an army. We see just a, a desert or a wasteland. He sees a garden. We see uh, all of our failures and all of our problems, but He sees His Son. He sees our redemption through the blood of Christ. And so we need to see ourselves the way that God does. And so here it is that He's just becoming wealthier and wealthier, and the only thing He changed was what the sheep were seeing. That's all he did. And so I think that that same thing can hold true for each and every one of us. We don't have... Now, there's nothing wrong with reading a lot of good books. There's nothing wrong with going on... You know, there's nothing wrong with going super spiritual and getting, getting uh, you know, going after God. But sometimes it's the simplest thing that can make a difference. If you would just begin to see yourself and we could see ourselves the way we looked at one another, the way that God sees us, everything would change. And then instead of us continually to, uh, like it's been going on, it seems like, in the church, of producing weak Christianity and, and, uh, and reproducing weaker and weaker Christians who, who have to talk about the good old days because nothing great's happening right now to hear, them, to hear them talk about it, we would start reproducing powerful sons and daughters. The whole earth is waiting for the sons and daughters to be revealed. They're there. We just have to see it. We had to start calling it out in one another. We had to start believing it. And I believe that if we will do that, that it will be unbelievable the impact it will have on this generation and generations to come as we continue to produce what the shepherd wants us to produce. Powerful sons and daughters walking in faith and keeping that faith before their eyes instead of constantly focusing on the fear and the tactics of the enemy. Father, we just thank you for your presence here again today, Lord. We just thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, help us to see what you see. Lord, when it comes to other people and when it comes to ourselves, God. Lord, we want to produce what the shepherd has for us to produce. God, help us to, to see things your way, God, in all situations and all circumstances, Father. And Lord, we just give you honor and we give you glory. I pray for every person here, every family represented to be blessed to grow in their relationship with you and their knowledge of you, God, that we would just continue to go after your presence with all that we are. God, we just thank you in advance for every breakthrough, for every salvation, for every deliverance and every miracle, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.